In your Bible, please, I know that you have possibly been reading this week some of the accounts of our, our Lord's crucifixion, His death and burial resurrection. Here in chapter 14 of the book of Mark, I want to begin reading this morning with verse number 17. What's happened prior to this is the disciples have told the Lord that the Passover is about to occur and asked him where would he like to uh, have the Passover, celebrate the Passover. And he gives them some directions and in his omniscience knows of a, a place and, and uh, they make arrangements. And so beginning at verse number 17 of Mark chapter 14, and in the evening he cometh with the twelve. And as they sat and did eat, Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, one of you which eateth with me shall betray me. Now that's already happened so far as him agreeing and talking and making a plot and a plan to do that. But Jesus, of course, knew everything, just as he knows my heart, just as he knows your heart. But he's informing the rest of the crowd about it. And verse 19, And they began to be sorrowful and said unto him one by one, Is it I? And another said, is it I? And he answered and said unto them, if it is one of the twelve that dippeth with me in the dish. The Son of Man indeed goeth as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Good were it for that man if he had never been born. And as they did eat, Jesus took the bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to them and said, take eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they drank of it. And he said unto them, this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. Verily I say unto you, I will drink it no more and drink no more the fruit of the vine until the day that I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. I'm going to leave off the reading there. You have here the, the institution of the Lord's Supper and how our Lord is taking the elements there and applying them to Him. His body is broken like the bread. His blood will be shed as the, the fruit of the vine. And so He gives us the institution of the Lord's Supper that we observe and that reminds me, I want to invite all of our friends in the radio audience, and you helped me to invite folk, that on su Saturday night, the 16th, this coming Saturday night, isn't it? I believe it is, this coming Saturday night, at 7 o'clock, we'll have the presentation of the living Lord's Supper here at the church. And then again on Sunday night, the 17th. So Saturday night, the 16th, this coming Saturday night, make plans to come and be here for that. What a wonderful portrayal, a picture of what the Lord did on that night. You'll be blessed by doing that. I want to call your attention here in this passage of Scripture to verse number 26. And when they'd sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. Jesus has already been betrayed by Judas. That's going to be culminated and finalized in just a short while. The disciples are fearful because he's already told them that he's going to die. And the Bible says that he, he showed them the Lord's Supper or instituted the Lord's Supper. Then they sang a hymn and they went out. He went out. He went out to a place where he'd shed great sweat drops of blood in the garden. He went out to where he'd be cruelly arrested and go through a mock trial. He went out to where he would hear his own disciple curse and say, I know not the man. 
He went out to be crowned with a crown of thorns, to be spit on, to have his beard pulled from his face, to be beat with a rod, and then to be beat with a cat of nine tails, and to ribbon his back, and to make him his physical features to such that he could hardly recognize him as being a man. He went out to taste death for you and for me, bearing all of my sin, all of your sin. He went out to do all those things. He went to be nailed to a cross and hung between heaven and earth. He did all those things. But first he sang a hymn. First he sang. Here's the song of the Savior. I wonder what he sang. Some people kind of jokingly said he sang Amazing Grace. Some say he sang, there's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. Well, we know that those songs were written many years later. Great truths and great songs to be sure. But that's not what he sang. They've observed the Lord's Supper before. They've been in full-time ministry, I guess you'd say, and his ministry lasted three years. So there have been at least two other occasions when they together have celebrated the, the Passover together. And it was a tradition among the Jews that they would in fact sing. And there were other Jewish songs or were Jewish songs that they used, but the, primarily they used the Psalms. And at every Jewish Passover, they would sing and recite together the Psalms. In your Bible, Psalms 13 through Psalms 18 are the psalms that they would sing. And I, I, I have no doubt that on that night, our Lord with his disciples sang the psalms. I believe they sang those particular psalms. Will you turn in your Bible, please, back to the book of Psalms and to chapter number 13, oh, 113. Psalms 113. And let's look this morning at the song of the Savior. You and I sing there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. And we re- remember what he did for us. But as he sang the Psalms with them, he's looking for just a few hours down the road to where it will become reality, where he'll suffer and bleed and die. In chapter number 22, in vivid detail in the Psalms, it talks about the death of our Lord. You see him there and it's depicted in such a way, even the cry to where he cried, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? All of that's in the book of Psalms chapter number 22. If you read that, an Old Testament account written 700 years before Christ was ever born, you'll see in detail the agony of the cross. But in Psalms 113 through 118, here we have an account given to us of what happened. And, and, and as he sings these songs, he knows that he, this is going to be his experience. Look in Psalms 113. Praise ye the Lord. Praise ye servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Why is he praising God the Father? Why is he praising the Lord so? Why he's praising him? Because that he and God and, and he and the Father before eternity had planned this hour. It's not something, my dear friend, that, that he necessarily uh, would want to do, but he's come in obedience to the Father, but he came to redeem fallen man. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore, from the rising of the sun and to the going down of the same. The Lord's name is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like unto the Lord our God who dwelleth on high, who humbled himself, And behold, the things that are in heaven and that in earth 
Notice in the first place as he begins to sing these psalms, these sequence of psalms here with his disciples. Number one, would you note his humbling? In this passage of scripture, he, he looks in retrospect in eternity past. Who's like the Lord? There's a time the Bible says that God the Son was daily to the Father's delight in majesty. But now here he is clothed in human flesh. He thinks back about the majesty that he had before the world began. He thinks no doubt about creation itself and how he was involved in that. Without him was not anything made that was made. But now notice the humbling. It says who humbled himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in the earth. He came down. My dear friend, he came down with a human body. He saw things with his eyes that not in heaven. He saw the wickedness of man. He saw murder. He saw hatred. He saw lying. He saw sexual sins. He saw all that. He smelled things that you don't smell in heaven. In heaven, he smelled celestial air. But as he came to earth, he smelled the stench of a stable. He smelled the smell of blood of innocent people. He smelt the filth and the pollution of the world. As a human, he experienced all those things. He heard things on the earth that he never heard in heaven that you don't hear in heaven. He heard cursing. He heard mocking. He heard jeering. He heard, he heard lying. I never heard those things in heaven. Clothed in the human body. He humbled himself. The Bible says in the book of Philippians that he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Jesus Christ clothed himself in human flesh. The Bible says, he says in the book of Psalms, he said, I'm a worm and not a man. He, he clothed himself. And it'd be just as like if you somehow could be transfigured from the human form that you are now to be in a, a, a nasty, slimy worm. If you could do that and still have all your consciousness to know who you are and know all your fa- have all your faculties. And when God, the Lord Jesus Christ, stepped out of glory, clothed himself in human flesh, my dear friend, he became man for us that he might suffer and bleed and die for us. He said, I'm a worm and not a man. He came to give his life a ransom. And here we hear his humbling. But now notice in that same passage of scripture, as he talks about his humbling, he thinks about his past. He thinks about the present. Verse 6, he humbled himself to behold the things in heaven and things on earth. But now notice the, the, the product or the future of that humbling. He says in verse number 7, he raises up the poor out of the dust and he lifted the needy out of the dunghill that he may set him with princes, even the princes of the people. My dear friend, that's exactly where we were. He reached way down and got us. He reached down. And by him coming down out of heaven, by him coming down and being clothed in human flesh, he's able to reach down in the depths of sin and pull us out and to set us as princes. Thank God it'd be enough if he rescued us. It'd be enough if he forgave all of our sins. But thank God he not only forgave all of our sins, he gave us forgiveness of all of our sins, but positionally he placed us as kings and priests. He made us a child of the king royalty. Thank God for that. He forgave all of our sins and now we the sons of God. My dear friend, note if you will, as he sang this psalm with him, he's thinking about his, his past. He's thinking about his present, but he's looking down through time as in the book of Isaiah when he shall see the travail of his soul and be satisfied. He saw down through time when he raised you up out of sin and gave you everlasting life. He saw, my dear friend, as he reached down and saved drunkards, as he he saved harlots, as he saved good moral people who were on their way to hell. But he looked down and saw all of them and he saved all of them and thanked the Lord for that. He sang in chapter number 14 about how he had helped Israel through all those 
those times. He said in, in verse number seven, he talked about his presence, the tremble thou earth at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, which turneth the rock into a standing water and the flint into a fountain of waters. And Jesus, my dear friend, was that rock. And he said, I blessed Israel. I delivered Israel out of Egypt. And thank God he could do that. And what he could do to satisfy their thirst, he can do for every man and woman now. You've got a thirst, you've got a longing in your heart that nothing in the world will ever satisfy. But thank God Jesus Christ can meet that need. He can satisfy that need. I note, my dear friend, his helping of Israel in chapter number 14. His humbling in chapter 113. and 115, my dear friend, I want you to notice as he describes the horror, the horror of what he must experience in just a few moments. Listen, the, excuse me, the honor that he has. He, in chapter number 15, he says of the idols, he said, but God is in heaven and he has done whatsoever it pleased him. He's here according to the will of God. He talks about their idols. Their idols are silver and gold, the uh, work of men's hand. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses have they, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet they have, but they walk not. Neither speak they through, though they through their throat. They that made them are like unto them. So is everyone that trusteth in them. O Israel, trust thou in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Here he talks of his honor. He compares himself in this passage of scripture to the idols. The idols have mouths. They have ears, they have eyes, but they cannot speak. They cannot hear, they cannot see. They have hands, but they cannot help. They have feet, but they cannot travel. My dear friend, listen, a lot of people have made Jesus an idol. They made him their idol. He's somebody who doesn't really talk to them. He's just somebody they call to. He's somebody, if you put him in one place, he stays there and you go back and find him when you need him. But that's not what he is. Jesus Christ does have hands. He has creating hands and delivering hands and life-giving hands and, and he has cleansing hands and he has chastening hands and he has comforting hands and he has protecting hands and he has giving hands. But most of all, he has wounded hands. Jesus Christ, the son of God, was not an idol. He's, he was a sinless sacrifice given for sin. And he said, I'm, I'm your sacrifice. I'm not an idol I came to give my life a ransom to suffer and bleed and die for you. And then if you come to chapter number 16, as they, they sing, he comes to chapter 16. And look with me, please, at verse number three of chapter 16. The sorrows of death compassed me. The pains of hell got hold upon me. I found trouble and sorrow. Then called I upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, deliver me. Gracious is the Lord and righteous, yea, our God is merciful. Notice, if you will, in the first place, he talks of his suffering. The Bible says that Jesus Christ, as he went out from this place, he came, he said, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. In the garden, he, he prays and great sweat drops of blood fall, fall from his brow. He is beaten and he suffers. And all the agony of the physical suffering Christ was only minute compared to the spiritual suffering that he experienced. He who was perfect, he who had never sinned, he who never had a vile thought, was all the sin of all the world was laid on him. Can you imagine the contamination of that? 
Can you imagine the consciousness of that? A holy, righteous son and being just clothed with all of my sin and all your sin. Oh, listen, what great sorrow, what great agony he went through. The Bible said he bore all of our sins in his own body on the tree. The Bible said, surely he carried our grief and our sorrow. And what he's experiencing there was our, our suffering, our agony, our guilt for sin. All of that was laid on him. What an awesome thing it was. As he sang those verses from this psalm, I, you can only imagine what was going on in his heart. But thank God that's not the end of the story. Look at verse 7. Return unto thy rest, O my soul, for the Lord hath dealt bountifully with thee. For thou hast delivered my soul from death, mine eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. The Lord Jesus Christ suffered and bled and died for us. But that's not the end of the story. The gospel is that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He died for our sin, died for your sin, bore your sin. He died on that cross. But that's not the whole gospel. But the Bible said that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. He's alive. The sin debt's been paid. Thank God for that. And he paid that sin debt. It's a, it's a done deal. He suffered and bled and died and paid all your sin debt. And as he sang this part of that, he's looking down. He's looking for a few hours, a few days past now. When the glorious resurrection will occur, he'll not suffer his Holy One to see corruption. He'll not leave him there, but he'll be resurrected in life. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, he's going to be lifted up. My dear friend, as it was, as Noah came out on the third day, he'll come out on the third day. He's coming out and thank God for that. Listen, notice what it says here in this passage of scripture. The Bible says that Lord Jesus Christ would be resurrected. Look at verse 14 as he's saying, he says this to, he said, I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all this people. What's he going to do? He's going to keep his word. Somewhere in eternity past in the determinate counsel of God was agreed that the son of man would come and suffer and bleed and die. And he kept his word. He came to do the will of the father. In the volume of the book, it's written. He came to do the will of father. Notice what it says in verse 15. Precious in the eyes of the Lord of the death of his saints. Jesus Christ on that cross died. Precious of great value. Here in this context of this, what does that mean? What's he talking about when he talks about his sorrow? He's talking about the agony of the cross. He talks about the glory of the resurrection. And he says the death of the saints. Why is all that tied together? Because here we are. Jesus Christ not only died for us. He died as us. The wage of sin is death. And on that cross, he died in our stead. He died for us, but he died as us. Our sin debt was paid. God in his, in his omniscience had made the plan of salvation perfect to where Jesus Christ could suffer death for every man, taste death for every man. And he died not only for us, but he died as us. He, he represented us when he died on that cross. The Lord Jesus Christ gave his life and he died as us on that cross. And thank the Lord. Notice verse 17. I will offer, I will offer to thee the sacrifice of thanksgiving. I will call upon the name of the Lord. I read to you a while ago about the institution of the Lord's Supper. And he held that bread in his hand, the Bible said, and he gave thanks and he broke it. And he gave it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. 
And Jesus Christ approaches the cross with a heart of thanksgiving that he's going to be broken, that you and I might live. He gives his life for ransom and thank the Lord that he did. I praise him for what he's done. And all this, and look at verse 17. Notice the scope. He said, I will offer to thee the sacrifice of thanksgiving and will call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all this people. He said, I, I'm here. I'm going to give my sacrifice so all the whole world can recognize and see what I've done. Here it is. It's for all people. Look, if you will, please, on a little further. Chapter number, uh, 100, uh, verse number 17, chapter 117. Look at verse 1. Oh, praise the Lord, all ye nations. Praise him, all ye people. His death... His death was for the whole world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoso believed his ship and him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus Christ died for the whole world. Now he's singing all of this. He's singing about eternity past. He's singing about bearing our sins on the cross and the sorrows of death. He's singing about tasting death for every man. He's singing about his own burial. He's singing about his own resurrection. He sings about offering praise. And he said, I'm doing that for all the whole world. And he sings that song just before he goes out to the garden. Notice in chapter 118. And he says this to us in verse number 22. The stone which the builders refused is become the headstone of the corner. Now, as I was doing some reading and studying, most of you understand that bricks and block, they have four corners. But it says the stone that the builders have rejected has now become the capstone, the headstone. And on the pyramid, there's a story that as the workers were working on the pyramid, as they came across this five-sided stone, they throw it to the side because it will not fit. It's not, it's not rectangular. It's not square. It doesn't have four sides. It has five sides. And not until they get the whole thing finished do they remember and recognize that what they need now is that top piece, the five-sided, the five-cornered stone. And that becomes the head. That's the top part. I thought it interesting that it has five, which is the number of grace. And Jesus Christ is a God of grace. And notice what it says in the word of God here. He says down in verse number 27, as he closes out the final chorus of this great song, God is the Lord, which has showed us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords, even unto the horns of the altar. I have repeated for you several times and try to reiterate to you several times in the last few services that in John chapter 3 and verse 16 where it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That term is the term of sacrifice. He gave his son as a sacrifice. It means to present as a sacrifice. It means to give your all, to give your very best. God gave his very best. And now in the concluding verses of this song, Jesus, having looked back in eternity past, having looked down and saw him bearing all the sins of all the world, having seen the agony of the cross, 
having seen him bearing my sin and your sin, having seen the burial and the resurrection. Here's what he says. Now, Father, take me and bind me to the cross. Oh, we thought it was the nails that held him to the cross, but not really. He said, no man takes my life from me. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. Jesus presented himself a living sacrifice. And he said, Father, now you bind me to the cross. What was it that he bound Christ to the cross with? What kind of cords did he bind him with? He bound him to the cross with cords of love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoso believed in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Notice verse number 28. Thou art my God, I will praise thee. Thou art my God, I will exalt thee. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. That's the last stanza. That's the last few refrains of what Jesus sang just before he went out to give his life a sacrifice. I will praise the Lord. His mercy endureth forever. My dear friend, what a song. What a song. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear. Grace my fear relieved. Oh, my dear friend, if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you can find salvation for what he did for you on that cross. Our Lord sang this song, these hymns, these psalms he sang before he went out to be crucified. He's singing about his own sacrifice and how wonderful it would be that you and I could experience mercy and grace through what he was doing for us. I want you to bow your heads in prayer. I know that you've listened well and I've hurriedly gone through these thoughts this morning. But as I've thought this week about this passage of scripture, the song of our Savior, that night gathered with those disciples, you're talking about tax collectors and old rough fishermen, but they sang together. I'm sure they had gruff voices and, and maybe couldn't carry a tune or whatever. But somehow that night I've got an idea that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, that blend, he blended their voices in sweet harmony as they sang these psalms together. And in the concluding verse where he says, Praise the Lord, His mercy endureth forever. Most of you have heard songs with certain refrains and they blessed you. And for days to come, maybe you hummed that tune or that tune ran through your mind. Oh, what a blessing it was. No doubt, my dear friend, in days to come, this night will live in the hearts of those disciples. This song will continue to ring in their heart memory. And for the rest of their life, they remember that chord that says, the mercy of the Lord endureth forever. I wonder this morning if you've ever experienced that mercy and grace. I wonder if you've ever trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. The song of the Savior. What he did for you, he suffered and bled and died that you might have life. The stone which the builders rejected, 
became the head, the capstone of that building. My dear friend, you have the right, you have the privilege, the opportunity this morning to accept or to reject the Lord Jesus Christ. I challenge you right now to trust Him. Would you stand please with your heads bowed for just a few moments? Brad's going to sing a couple of verses of a song in a minute. Here's what I'd like to invite you to do. Two things, or three things. Number one, if you are a Christian, if you're a Christian, when it comes time for you to sing a hymn, sing a song of our Savior, I want to encourage you to be mindful of the words and make that a worship experience. Don't just go through the routine of it. Before the Lord Jesus Christ went out that night, he paused with his disciples and sang the Psalms. He sang with them. My dear friend, that's a privilege you have of singing to magnify your Lord, to be blessed. I encourage you to do that. Perhaps you're a Christian this morning and you feel God speaking to your heart in some way, something in your heart and life maybe ought not to be there. And you need to come get around this altar. But before we pray, could I ask you a question? Is there a man or woman or boy or girl here who'd say to me this morning, Brother Billy, I have never trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. I've never been born again. If I died right now, I don't know I'd go to heaven. I can hardly imagine that just before he's going to be betrayed, just before he's going to be mocked and beaten, that he would stop and pause with his disciples and sing about what was about to happen. And he, do it, he does it with thanksgiving. And he does it with praise. Because he knew what it would mean for me and you. And dear friend, don't miss that. And if you were lost this morning, you said, Brother Billy, if I died right now, I don't know I'd go to heaven. Preacher, would you please pray for me? You may be a visitor, a guest, and never been here before. Let me encourage you. I'm not going to embarrass you. Nobody will see your hand but me and the Lord. But right now, if you say, Preacher, if I died now, I do not know I'd go to heaven. And I'd like to know for sure that I'm saved before it's too late. I'd like to be as sure as Wesley was in his testimony to know that he's saved. Preacher, pray for me. While no one's looking, every head's bowed, would you raise your hand across the congregation? Give me just a moment to recognize your hand and acknowledge that. I'm looking. Say, preacher, I don't know if I'm saved or not. If I die now, I don't know I'd go to heaven. And preacher, pray for me. Would you raise your hand across this building this morning? Right up, right back down. Anybody? Preacher, I don't know if I died now, I'd go to heaven, but I want to know for sure I'm saved. I want to know for sure that I'm going to go to heaven. Are you here this morning like that? Brad's going to sing a song in a moment. We'll keep our heads bowed for just another moment, but I encourage you to come, Christians. I encourage you to come, just take a moment to thank the Lord for what he did for you. Heavenly Father, in the strong name of Jesus, I ask God the Holy Ghost to speak to hearts. I, Father, this morning, I pray, God, that you take this truth and speak to hearts about it. Our Father, you gave your own son to die for us. Lord Jesus, you clothed yourself in human flesh. There on that night, the pivotal point of all of history, you sang. You sang about what you were about to do. And offered a sacrifice of praise 
as you would soon offer your own body as a sacrifice for our sin. God, I'm thankful that in your omniscience you could see past the cross to the resurrection and down through time to where men and women, boys and girls by faith would believe the gospel message and be saved. God, you thought it was worth it. Thank you for loving me and for dying for me and for these friends here gathered. Now, God, speak to hearts. Lord, it's your work. I ask you to do it in Jesus' name. While Brad sings, you obey Christ. Whatever God wants you to do, you come right now.